1989, when I was three years old. When I was 12 years old. When I was a sophomore in college. When I was nine years old. Summer of 2005. It was during my time in college. When I was 12 years old. I was 30 years old. Freshman year at Virginia Tech on a beach trip. April 15, 2007. When I was seven years old. When I was a sophomore in high school. When I was five years old. October 1980. When I was 12 years old. Around 18 years old. It's as long as I can remember. When I was a little boy. In 2009. <laughs> Yung Talata Fisar Arba 2016 si. Tonan desde que yo tenía 16 años. Abril 2004. Hace 30 años. Jesucristo es mi rey. Christ is my king. Christ is my king. Jesús es mi rey. Cristo es mi rey. Christus es morem crulem. Christ is my king. Christ is my king. Jesus es mi quenem. Christ is my king. Christ is my king. Cristo es mi rey. Christ is my king. Jesús es mi rey. Christi lo bani. Christ is my king. Christ is my king. Cristo nen dae wang imida. Christ is my king. 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 Welcome to Forest Hill Church. I'm so glad that you're joining us from wherever you're joining us from. Uh, maybe you're gathered at one of our campuses in person and where we're doing our very best to make a safe environment and a, and a really uh, an experience where you get to kind of come back to something that feels a little bit normal. If you are, we're so glad that you're there. And, and, and if you're not ready for that yet, if you're still watching us online and being a part of this, I just want to encourage you like I did last week. Wherever you are observing, wherever you're experiencing this, don't let it end with just observation or watching. Be a part, whether it's in person, jumping in the chat, whether it's going on social media or getting with your group for a watch party or for a discussion after. What really changes our hearts, what sinks truth and what causes hope to rise in us is whenever we get to share this and not just hear it. So uh, my name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here. And as you just heard in that video... I would say the same thing in agreement. Christ is my king. 
We're starting this brand new series today called Citizens, where we're looking at what does it mean to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, to be a person who doesn't just claim Christianity or have that as a title, but, but follows Jesus, actually lives in a way that is completely different. I want to tell you why that's possible and how we do it. We're going to look at um, how you get into the kingdom of heaven as a citizen today. Before we jump into all of that, I want to tell you why we're doing this series, because I, th- I think it's really important that we understand the moment that we find ourselves in. You know, as far as I can tell anybody who's alive and watching this, uh, we are living in a time unlike any other. Uh, not that the individual things that are happening right now in our world have never happened before. I mean, uh, at least not uh, all at once. That's the deal, right? I mean, we've got a global pandemic and we've got financial issues. We've seen that all before. We've got a, a divided country. We've seen that before. We've got issues of, of justice. We've, we've been a part of that before. But as far as I can tell and as far as I can research, There's never been a time in history where it's all converged at one moment and what that has the potential to do and and what it actually is doing for for many people in this country is it's causing us to go deeper and deeper into uh, our positions, to to begin to forget that we're a whole person, to begin to live out of just one modifier of who we are. So maybe it's we go into, you know, we're a mask wearer or we're not a mask wearer. And that's the thing that right now feels most important or, or what... Fox News channel or CNN channel you watch, who you read, how you vote, uh, to who you pull for in sports if they come back, whether your kids are going to school or not, like so many things at this moment are trying to divide and separate us. And we want to just take a, a pause in a few weeks and say, for those of us who claim Christianity, for those of us who follow Jesus, there's a higher allegiance here. Because look, it's a natural thing for humans to do. Because deep down in our hearts, there is an ache, there is a desire, there's a longing to be known and to be accepted and to be loved. And when pressure and stress comes, we tend to retreat to some place that's easy to define. But, but that's not what God offers and it's not what he intends. And so we're looking at this series of what it means to be a citizen for that. And then the second reason is because all of us, you know, we want to be good at what we do. Uh, the Bible says, Scripture tells us over and over that God has purposed us, that he's created us, and that he has given us a mission. And that as we live out that mission, just like with anything else in life, we want to know how we're doing. Because look, when it matters, we want to measure, right? Right? Whether that's your cholesterol or your grades, those of you starting school tomorrow, hey, we're praying for you, whether you're a teacher or whether you're a student, those who will come in the next few weeks, we are pulling for you. But whether it's uh, you know, your retirement account, your title at work, whatever it is, when it matters, we want some way to measure to see how we stack up. And that ache that I talked about a second ago, that ache to be known by God, to be loved at the most deep part of our core, that's one that we really want to know how we're doing. Amazing. God has chosen to give us a certainty of not only how to live now, what the future is going to be, but how he feels about us. And it's through the gospel. It's through his son, Jesus. So we're going to be looking at that today. And as we go through this, um, our vision and our mission as Forest Hill Church is about how we help you as you're a part of this, whether you're just starting the journey, you've been here a long time, how do we help you to know how you're doing? How do we help you to see progress, to be encouraged as we all journey towards becoming more and more these citizens of his kingdom? And so as we do that, we're going to look over the next several weeks at some ways that you and I can take and say, hey, I'm actually making progress in 
becoming who God desires. So we're starting today with this very first one, that we live like Jesus. And so before we jump into that, I want to begin with this scripture. Now, there's lots of scripture that we're going to look at each week that talks about this idea of a citizenship in heaven or the kingdom of God. It's all over the Bible, and each week we'll take one or two and we'll try to examine it from different angles. Today, we're going to be using primarily a a letter that a guy named Paul, who was one of the foremost church planners of the church. Uh, Most of us are here because Paul uh, followed through on his purpose and his mission, and he was faithful at it. But he's writing this letter to a a church in Colossae. And in this letter, Paul very uh, much wants to tell them how encouraged that he is by them. He wants to tell them how they can live. He wants to remind them of what's ultimately true. And so he begins this letter by saying this, hey, I'm praying for you. We've seen your faith. We've heard about your faith. You're doing great. Keep going. We're praying for you. Wouldn't it be amazing to get a letter from your hero, from somebody that you really respect, and that he would say, I'm praying for you. I see you. Keep going. I I want you to know one thing, Forest Hill Church. We here are praying for you. We see how you're serving in the community. We see how despite difficulty, you're making strides to to continue to love your neighbor well. We see how you're trying to be this and we're praying for you. And I hope you're praying for us too as we're all in this together. So Paul says in Colossians 1, starting in verse five, he says, you've already heard about this hope in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. It is bearing fruit and growing all over the world just that it has among you since the day you heard it and came to truly appreciate God's grace. And then in verse nine, skip down, he says, we're asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. Man, we need that, don't we? Joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's God's word. Paul says, there's another kingdom at work. He says, there's something that's happening around you that you're a part of, speaking to those who have followed Christ, chosen to place their faith in him. And he says, what you're experiencing and and what you are living in is another reality. And you can't always see it. It's like this. Um, In scripture, the Bible, whenever uh, someone writes about the earth, when they use the word earth, this word tierra, it often means like the physical planet. That's what it's referring to. The the grasslands and mountains and oceans, the, the landscape and that which God has given that humans dwell on. But the current human situation is that we live on one planet in two worlds. The second word that's often used to describe the world is, is this idea of cosmos in Greek. It means the governing order or the way of influence, how something actually operates. And we live here all on one planet, but with two different orders of operation happening. It's kind of like uh, in my own place, you know, I live at a, a certain physical residence. I've got an address that you can send mail to. That's, that's my home, the physical nature of it. But I live in a world that's 
very much uh, different than that house. That world is dominated by all my girls. I talk about this all the time. I got three daughters and a wife, so I'm badly outnumbered. I don't understand the language. I'm trying to keep up, but there is an order, a way of working that's happening in my world that I am not always in control of or sure about. And, and look, uh, we had some friends over for dinner last night. They could tell you I was laughing as I, I thought about how they viewed me interacting uh, with my girls. And, and look, please don't at me. Don't like, you know, tell me I need to get control of my house because uh, I'm just joking unless you actually know how to do it and then feel free to email me. But here's the point. Uh, we live in a world, a way that's ordered and influenced no matter where we physically reside. And what Paul says, what all scripture tells us, is that when we come to faith in Christ, when we become a citizen of this kingdom, uh, that we operate, we actually may live in Asia or Africa or North or South America or, or some other place on the planet, but we can live our most real existence in something that you can't really see called the kingdom of God. So let's look and see what is the kingdom of God. When I say that word kingdom, what comes to your mind? What's the image that, that pops in your head? Kingdom. Maybe it's you know, that of fairy tales or a movie that you've seen. I recently tried to get my kids to watch uh, Princess Bride. They weren't buying it. But you know, there, there are all kinds of stories or movies or things that make us uh, have this idea, this concept of a kingdom. And some of them are good. It's, the kingdom is, has three things about it that makes it a kingdom as such. And this is not going to be a, a civics or a government lesson. I don't want to go deep on this, that you'll have enough of that starting school. Uh, but what we want to talk about today are these three basic ideas in a kingdom. Kingdoms always have a ruler, his rule, and a realm. And the same is true of this kingdom of God. First, let's look at the ruler. And, and notice, we have a tough time, honestly, as Western people who've lived, you know, primarily, for most of us, in a, a democracy, a democratic republic. It's harder for us to grasp the full implication, sometime, of, of what the biblical writers like Paul mean when they talk about or compare this life to being a citizen of a kingdom. Paul was actually a Roman citizen. He was a Jewish guy who had become a citizen of Rome, and that meant he had certain benefits. There were blessings that came to him. There were certain rights that he had simply by being a part of Rome, even though he didn't live anywhere near Italy. But the same is true for us. So let's look at this idea, and maybe it will help us understand a little bit more of what we mean by becoming a citizen. First, uh, a kingdom always has a ruler. That ruler uh, always comes to power in one of two ways. You're either born to be the king or you get your kingship by revolution, by overthrow. Now, in the spiritual kingdom of God, actually both are true. Jesus is our king. Scripture says that over and over. Uh, that because of his sinless life, because of his sacrificial death, and because of his glorious bodily resurrection, he, God has made him king over all. Uh, not just everything that is that we can see, but everything that ever will be, everything that exists uh, both now and forever that is part of the physical world and part of the spiritual world. Jesus is king over all, and he got it both by birth and by revolution. Here's what I mean by that. At some point in human history, Jesus enters and becomes God in human flesh. He's born into this world. And that is his connection to God by blood. He is destined, just like the son of a king becomes the king eventually, Jesus is destined to be the king of this world because he's God's son. He's connected in that way. But also, Jesus gets his power through a revolution. 
It's just not the revolution that anybody thought. It's not the normal way of revolution for a king. His revolution was a revolution of the heart. Remember whenever he's talking with Pilate right before he gets put to death in that horrible crucifixion. Uh, right before that, Pilate says, so you, you say you're a king. And Jesus says, you're right. But my kingdom's not of this world. It's, it's not like yours, Pilate. That's a cute little thing that you guys have going on here with the Roman Empire. It's gonna last a few hundred years and, and it gets pretty big. I mean, you get almost all the way across a couple of continents. My kingdom lasts forever. It expands into every nation, one day, every tribe, every language. It's eternal and it's unstoppable and it began now. And Jesus unleashed this revolution of the heart that began making him king. Not, not just cosmically, but for each one of us in our hearts. So when we enter the kingdom of God, he becomes our ruler. Uh, secondly, uh, a rule always has to take place in a kingdom. That, that king then has a, an area where his desire, his will, um, his sovereignty extends to. And so in this way, we talk about um, all of the earth, all of the, the history of humanity, both past, present, and future, all of it is under the rule of God. He's operating and in control of it. And it's funny, it goes all the way back to the very beginning of humanity, right? Adam and Eve, they get placed into God's creation. And do you remember what he told them? He said, I want you to represent me. This is your rule it, rule it as an ambassador of mine, as a, a vice regent. I want you to extend my kingdom. Think about that word. The, the kingdom, the king's dominion, where the king's power reigns. He says, I want you to extend that to everything. I want you to bring my justice. I want you to bring the flourishing. I want you to bring creativity. I want you to bring abundance. I want you to bring the worship of me. I want to have glory from everything that I've created and them to know that I'm its king. That's what humans were designed to do, extend the king's dominion. But that's what they gave away in the garden. It's what we trade away. It's that sin to choose rather to live our own kingdom, to let our own power, our own rule to extend. And, and so the rest of scripture from Genesis through Revelation is all about God's plan to restore that and to invite us back in to be in co-laborers with him. Then you have the realm, the ruler, the rule, and finally the realm. How far does it extend? Well, it extends everywhere, as I just said. Ultimately, one day, everything on heaven and in earth and in all of the universe will all be put under the feet of Jesus. That is the uh, certain future reality. And it's begun in a very certain present moment in our hearts. And so there are people, as God extends, all over the world that are beginning to come in and become subjects, citizens, of this kingdom. Our great hope and the hope that Paul was writing about in the very beginning of Colossians is that that is true that one day we'll see Jesus as king and that all of the things that are not the way he would operate, they'll be banished forever from this kingdom. So that's what a kingdom is. That Philippians 3, 20 and 21 says this, but our citizenship is in heaven is in that kingdom from which we also eagerly wait for a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's coming back. He's returning to fully take his kingship. And when he does, it says he will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject 
everything to himself. You, you know what I read in that? That there have been lots of kingdoms, empires, powerful leaders over the years. Uh, in Europe and Africa and Asia, all over this world, there have been people who've extended dominion. But only one, only Christ chooses to not just make uh, people who are um, in his realm subjects or servants, but he actually chooses to make them like himself. He doesn't want to keep that gap. It says here that he takes them and transforms their bodies into one like him. This king serves so well and wants so much for his subjects that he says, I'll make you like me. In fact, I'll hide you in me. So if that's the kingdom, how do we become a citizen of this kingdom of God? How does it happen? It begins like this. Look, go back to our text in Colossians 1, verse 12. There are three things I want to point out to you in these two verses. It says, giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. In him, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You become a citizen by pledging allegiance to the king and his kingdom. That's the way it happens here on earth right now. If you wanted to become a citizen of the United States, you would go before a group who would judge whether you are pledging to, to make the United States supremely your allegiance as far as your nation, that, that you agree to, to follow its laws and to pursue its interests and to work for its good, and, and that's how you become naturalized as a citizen. Well, it's similar in the kingdom of God. We have to pledge our allegiance and renounce citizenship somewhere else. In many countries, if you want to become a citizen there, you have to renounce your previous citizenship. Maybe you surrender your passport and you can say, no matter which country you're from, I've decided to not be considered a part of that nation any longer. Now I want to be a citizen of Spain or Switzerland or the United States or whatever. Same thing happens with the kingdom of God. To become a full citizen of this king, we have to renounce our citizenship in the kingdom of old. And what was that? No, it was the kingdom of me, the kingdom of mine, the kingdom of I. It's interesting, though, um, that whole two worlds we live in, one world is the kingdom of God operating, the other one is the kingdom of, of Satan, of the enemy of God, or the kingdom of this world it's sometimes caused. It operates according to different principles. And what's so devious about our enemy Satan, the accuser, is that he tries to make us think that we're actually the ruler of our own place, that, that we get to determine our own law. So he will allow us to believe that we are on the throne when in reality, uh, we're simply doing his bidding. We simply live making up our own rules, our own way of doing this, and, and, and it leads to destruction and ultimately to overthrow by the true king. See, we renounce this kingdom, but, but look, it shows how this happens in these passages. First, Paul says, you are enabled to share in the saints' inheritance. This, this idea is that we become, and this is grace right here, this unmerited, undeserved kindness of God allows us to be adopted. That's what it means to share in this inheritance. God adopts us. Think about this. This king is not just willing to serve the people who are in his kingdom. He invites them to become part of the family. He wants to give them a place at the table. This king says, you are now a part of my own. I won't just give you a good government and protect you. I will make you one of mine and everything I have is yours. 
It's an incredible display of this grace. God's idea of his kingdom is to make all of us blood relatives. He's like the perfect dad who says, there's an empty spot at my table. Son, daughter, you you chose to rebel, to go your own way, and I want you back, and I'll do anything it takes. I'll use all of my power to return you to this spot because I want you in the house. God enables. Second, it says he's rescued. This is all about salvation. He's, he's rescued us almost like a, a conquering king would come in and find those who were oppressed and enslaved and he would say, release them. They're no longer gonna be under the tyranny of your rule, but now they come back home. This is what Christ, it's one view of looking at the cross and the crucifixion is that Jesus went in and redeemed, we're, we're told. He paid the price for, returned us, bought us back so that we're no longer slaves. This is salvation. And then it says, he also transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves. That's about citizenship. He makes us a part of the family, adopts us. He rescues us, gives us salvation. And then he transfers us and makes us citizens. And it says then we have the forgiveness of sins. Now I know that some people watching, listening to this, you don't think you need forgiveness. We talk about sin and it's like, whatever, I, I don't feel guilty. And, and I get that. I, I mean, I get that it's easy for us to lie to ourselves and deceive ourselves that that's true. And why not? Because right now, maybe if that's you, you live in your own kingdom. You're the king as far as you think. You make the rules, you make the laws. So of course, you're always gonna design them to be exactly what you want and do. But part of being a citizen of the kingdom of God is accepting the forgiveness that he offers that redeems us. See, there's that ache I talked about at the beginning, that longing that we have to know that we're accepted, that we're okay. This is how that ache finds its healing and its comfort. This is how that longing finds its fulfillment because God wipes away our guilt. And he says, now I look at you solely through the record of my son and you're perfect to me. That's why I want you back at the table. So if, if you dig deep, I think, even if on the surface you would say, I don't, I don't need that forgiveness, I think you know, as I've known, that that's just pride trying to cover a hurt. I wanna invite you to consider accepting this forgiveness today. Isn't it interesting that in this passage when we read, God enables, he rescues, he transfers, he does it all. <laughs> he does everything. We, we don't have to do anything. We simply just live the new reality of our adopted, rescued citizenship state. That's what it means to be part of the kingdom of God. If that's how we get in, then how do we live as a citizen of the kingdom? Well, it's similar to if you became a citizen of another country. I have a friend who spent a long time going through the citizenship process and one of the things that I'm always amazed by is a person who's not a natural born citizen, when they finally get to that place where their citizenship is granted, there's a pride and a desire to reflect and to, um, to represent the country well. 
we, we choose to say, even though I may still wake up and some days act like or forget that this is my new way of life, I'm going to uh, continue when it comes to mind, I'm going to continue to act as if, to begin to act in accordance with the rhythms, with the uh, expectations, with the way of being a citizen of this new place. It doesn't happen overnight for any of us, but it does happen as you begin to more and more focus and fall in love with the king. That's what he's after. So we start to live looking for personal, um, personal flourishing. Absolutely. God designed us to flourish, but also to represent him well, to, to bring that flourishing to bear on others, to expand his kingdom, king's dominion to all of the spheres of influence that you and I have. That's what it means to be a citizen. That's how we live it out. So as I told you earlier, we say here that we live like Jesus is the goal. We try to live as he would in whatever situation we find ourselves in. We, we try to say, how would he love right now? And, and the only way that you know that is not by looking at the list of rules. You go look at his life. You read and you pray and you study and you focus on him and you say, oh, that's how he loved the outsider. That's how he loved the person that mistreated him. That's how he loved those who were closest to him. That, that's how he chose to speak when things were intense. That's how he modeled and held on to truth and, and that's how he gave grace. See, we live like Jesus is the goal. He's the object of our devotion. He's our priority and he's the focus of our relationships. This is what it means to daily live out being a citizen of the kingdom. See, one of the problems, and we talked about this last week as we finished our series on joy, we talked about obedience and the idea that obedience comes from an overflow of joy. That if you just try to work really hard at it, you'll, you'll never be able to get there. And that joy comes from a relationship that you have with God. And, and that once that you understand and experience the, the guilt-free nature, the forgiveness of sin, that, that adoption mindset, you begin to say, I'd gladly do what you want. I'd gladly represent you in this place, in this moment. But so many of us treat this not like the relationship, we, we treat it like religion. We don't live the gospel, we live the rules. I came across this meme not long ago, maybe you've seen it too. It wrecked me the first time I read it. It's so simple, but it gets so deep. And it says the difference in religion and gospel is this. Religion says, I messed up. My dad's gonna kill me. The gospel says, I messed up. I better call dad. See, at some place deep in our souls, that ache that we feel, that ache that gets exacerbated and sometimes gets turned into anger and causes us to divide up and find something else to be our primary identifier, that's all born out of this need, this desire to be back in a relationship with your perfect heavenly dad. That when you fail, when I fail, we don't hide in fear, but we run to him and we experience his grace. The gospel says that the word Christian is not a describer. It's good grammar for you guys starting school. It's a definer. To be a Christian is the noun. And so many of us get this backwards, right? We choose to, to allow ourselves to be known as a Christian being the adjective. Uh, we're a Christian whatever else it is. And that's backwards. In fact, in any other circumstance, in any other way, I can give you some examples, that would be silly. Like you wouldn't uh, confuse the noun and adjective and it make any sense. Like you wouldn't say, um, you know, last night we had friends over, I told you, and we had this dinnerly deliciousness. 
It's ridiculous. You had a delicious dinner. Uh, we wouldn't say that, oh, oh, honey, I want you to marry me. This is a, a ringular beautifulness, isn't it? No, it's a beautiful ring that you put on your finger. You wouldn't say that there's a humanly smartness about you. You definitely wouldn't say it about me with these last few examples, right? But the point is, I know it's silly. The point is, that's what happens when we make Christian the adjective. No, you are, when you're a citizen, when you've accepted this place in God's kingdom, you are a Christian. Christ is your king. That is who you are at your core. It's who I am. Everything else is the adjective. So let me ask you as we close. In your everyday real life, in the way that you think, in the way that you process, in the way that you live, is Christian for you a noun or is it an adjective? Maybe, maybe you're not one yet. But, but that's part of the problem is because you look at people and you think that they just slap on an adjective of Christian to their life. Still do whatever we want. Still make our supreme allegiance to really ourselves. Folks, this is a great opportunity for us during this series, but starting today, to choose to renounce that old citizenship, to allow yourself to be identified by that deepest place that God already loves you in and say, you're mine and say, I'm yours and Christ is my king. So I'd like to pray for us now. Would you join me in that? Father, I pray for Huh, saying those words, Father, what a reminder of the way that you lead your kingdom by adopting, by adopting me, by adopting us. We can pray that because of the kind of king that you are. So I pray that those who are here, who are listening, who are watching, would experience now this sense of hope and joy welling up as they realize the truth of these words, that you have enabled us by grace, that you have rescued us in salvation, and you have transferred our citizenship into the kingdom of the son you love. God, that's possible for us. I pray that you'd give some today the courage and the faith to say yes. I pray for those of us who... Um, have done that and yet somehow we've we've forgotten our true identity we've forgotten that place that is most real about us you'd remind us again that citizen of the kingdom of heaven is who we are and god would you allow us now to live as if that is true i pray you'd help us in the situations we'll face today and this coming week to represent your kingdom as of supreme importance to lay down anything else that vies for that title and to live in a trusting, open-handed love relationship with you, Jesus. Thank you that you are king and that you call us yours. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen.